Welcome to the Making Waves at Sea Level podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we will explore the interesting stories of business executives, entrepreneurs, and industry leaders who are shaking things up and growing their companies. It is time to make some waves. Now here's your host, Tom Singer. Hey, and welcome to another episode of Making Waves at Sea Level. Thank you for coming along and listening to this podcast. You know, I am very aware that you have a lot of choices if you're a podcast listener. They say it's up around 2 million podcasts that have been founded, although it's well less than a million that actually continue to have regular episodes. Uh, Most podcasts die somewhere between 7 and 12 episodes. There's actually a term for it. They call it pod fade. And yet uh, we are about to cross the 660 number, or I think maybe this episode gets us to the other side of that. So we are continuing uh, to put out this podcast almost for seven years now. So I really appreciate everyone who comes along. And today we're going to talk about wellness and well-being. And I think that's super important, not only for individuals, but for the entire organization. But before we get started, I have to thank one of the sponsors of today's episode. This episode is brought to you by Stanton Chase International, one of the leading global executive search firms serving as trusted advisors to help companies build their senior leadership teams. Full disclosure, I work for Stanton Chase International. All right, so today we have Brad Bongiovanni, and he is a well-being expert, right? He is the well-being um he is the head of medical strategy for MedIQ, but he also has his own company called Wellbeing Science, where he is the chief well-being officer. And what he does is he is really focused on strategy around this whole idea of wellness. He coaches and consults with those who want to have a real experience for their people inside organizations when it comes to well-being. And that's what we're going to talk to him about today. So, Brad, welcome to Making Waves at Sea Level. Thank you, Tom. Glad to be here. Uh, You're inviting me to talk on my number one topic that I love talking about. So I'm excited. That's awesome. But I think a lot of people think, oh, well-being, wellness inside my company, that's kind of woo-woo and fluffy. Uh, Why is it important? Okay. So, yeah, I mean, I I think we we have, the times have turned. I think we used to talk about well-being as this sort of soft and fluffy, nice to have. Um, but the momentum was building before the pandemic for really understanding why there's great business strategy and uh, there's a whole business case to be made for really ensuring that you are t- taking care of your people. The pandemic has only accelerated that um, significantly. And so uh, if, if <laughs> there's, there's, there's this line of thought that there's you have chief marketing officers, you have chief HR officers, you have um, chief financial officers, you have people taking care of marketing and finance and hiring and firing and retention. Who is taking care of the actual people, right? And and what is the who owns that? And what is the strategy behind that? And what is the deployment of that strategy? And uh, there's there's companies that are leading the way. And um, it's very exciting. They're, they're really showing other companies how they can follow in their footsteps. Um, it's, it's the, it, they are the pioneers and they're one step ahead. So if you are an organization that values performance, which most do, <laughs> then you're, and if you don't have a well-being, 
executive who is leading the strategy and a well-being strategy itself that is clearly defined and measurable um, and aligned with your business goals, then you are one step behind. So, but it's still pretty rare that someone's going to have like a chief well-being officer inside their company, right? I mean, this is, I mean, some big companies have this, but it's its not the standard. If we looked at the Fortune 1000, how many no. do you think have actually taken this on as an initiative? Yeah. I mean, it's, I don't, uh, Fortune 1000, I would guess it's <laughs> less than 25, if I had to guess. I mean, there's really a handful of companies globally um, that are sort of leading this way, but what you're starting, what I'm starting to see more and more are actually universities who are bringing on this role for uh, campus well-being, student well-being. There's health systems like uh, Novant Health in North Carolina. They have a chief well-being officer. There's law, uh, huge law practices like Kirkland and Ellis. They have a chief well-being officer. It really is very industry agnostic. Um, SAP, you know, the software giant, um, uh, Deloitte, uh, that's that's how this whole even idea of an executive leading the way got onto my radar about 18 months ago is somehow stumbling upon Jen Fisher, the chief well-being officer at Deloitte. And, um, and you know, from there, just sort of I, I've gone down this, this amazing, it's a rabbit hole, but it's an amazing rabbit hole of what is going on out there with organizational well-being. It's interesting because I used to be the marketing director for an AMLAW, actually two different AMLAW 100 law firms, uh, not Kirkland and Ellis, but in that realm of that type of firm. And when you said that, I like cringed. I'm like, I can't believe a law firm would actually have someone in that role because 20 years ago when I worked in that business, you know, well-being was just go work harder inside a law firm. So what's what's causing a shift inside an organization like a law firm to say, no, this is important? Yeah, I think I think it's, you know, the mental health crisis that was, again, there before the pandemic, of which the pandemic has only accelerated. And this, uh, this you know, I'm in the medical field. So the, the concept of burnout and medical professionals is very high on my, my particular radar screen. I don't have a lot of touch points in the in the legal industry, but I've got to imagine burnout is a huge problem in the legal professions. Oh, and I mean, so, uh, one of the number one uh, professions where people commit suicide is attorneys. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, we, it's, it's not really rocket science to, to, to understand that if you want your people in your organization to perform at their best, you have to foster and cultivate their wellness, their health, their well-being on as many levels as you define that to be. So there's different definitions um, we're becoming more and more inclusive with that definition of well-being. Um, it's not just your physical health. It really is uh, spanning careers, community, social, um, even financial. You know, financial stress is so much a part of the average American's life. And so now organizations are getting savvy about providing or, uh, financial well-being uh, perks and rewards and services and coaching to their employees, because if they can help alleviate that stress, that's going to mean a, a better and more productive and more engaged and less burned out person who shows up to work every day. So I would imagine though, that this role, because it's rare, this role has to be uh, kind of, you know, always in flux. I can't imagine that well-being is one size fits all. Yeah. It, it you know, 
this, I don't really, first of all, I'm glad we're using this word well-being because I try to stay more with well-being and away from wellness only because wellness is a word we've all heard for decades, literally. And it's become so overused that it's hard to really understand what that word means anymore. But well-being is a little bit different. Um, And uh, you know what? I got I got lost on that point. So what what was your question um, that you just posed to me? I'm going to just rephrase it and tell the editor to do an edit right here. Okay. Ten. I I had said that uh, chief wellness officer is kind of a new thing. Oh, and, one size fits all. One size yeah. can't fits all. So three, yeah. two, one, go. Yeah, and so well being is not a one size fits all prospect. It's you know what what well being is for you is going to be you know there may be some overlap, but it's going to be different. Right. And so by just approaching uh, like getting a, a you know, uh, a, squ- a tr- you know, a square peg and trying to put it into a round hole is not going to work. We're gravitating as a society right towards more personalization across all industries, you know, customizing the experience, personalizing the ex- experience in medicine. We're going for precision medicine, the right patient, the right treatment at the right time. And I think this is the way that well-being is going to be going in terms of defining what well-being is and then trying to, uh, to match the solutions and the gaps in well-being to the individual. So easier said than done, but that is, I think, the trend that we'll be seeing for the next decade or more. So can a company outsource this? Can you have an outsourced well-being officer who comes in on Fridays and passes out Hershey kisses and 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 talks yeah. to people? Or is this yeah. something that they need to create someone inside the company who's going to make sure that this is an ongoing top priority? Yeah, you, if you want to fail, then you can outsource this. And that's why, you know, there's a lot of negativity still out there about workplace wellness programs and how they're soft and how they don't produce a return. They don't produce an impact. And I think that is a lot of the reason behind their failures, at least in the past, is because this was something that was outsourced to a a third party. And and that third party had products and services that may have been overall good, but how closely did they line up and match and align with the individual organizations that they were serving, knowing that um, the cult, there's cultural issues um, in the workforce. There's demographic issues in the workforce. There's um, there's so many different um, filters that make up a, a workforce that you, when you started to see organizations bring this inside into leadership and assign it to one leader, not assign it to the chief people officer or the chief human resource officer. They have a distinct skill set and role and responsibility and generally don't have a lot of training and experience in well-being, although they're delivering well-being rewards and benefits, which is fantastic. But in terms of the business strategy and how do you deploy the strategy, how do you set up the infrastructure, how do you monitor and track and measure and collect data, how do you manage change um, inside the organization? That has to be uh, a seat at the table for the executive leader, uh, for an executive leader. So he can explain and serve as the champion for that inside the organization and talk to the CFO about, you know, how we're going to measure our ROI on this and the cost of this, how we're going to, you know, talk to the CHRO, about how we weave this into our HR policies. Um, obviously the CEO being the visionary, 
um, has to be, you know, from a mindset perspective on board with this concept that well-being drives performance. And there's actual data that comes out from all the management consulting companies like McKinsey and Deloitte and Ogilvy and more um, that, that produce uh, just literally month over month, week over week data that shows us that there is a tremendous business case to be made um, from taking care of our people. So if a CEO is listening to this and he's like, yeah, this is really important to my people. I totally get what Brad is saying. What do they need to do? I mean, this is, you can't just wave a magic wand and have well-being magic fairy dust sprinkled on everybody. <laughs> I think the first, the, the, the first step is recognizing, right, that, that you understand the business benefits of this. There's the business benefits, then there's the moral, ethical responsibility, right, to take care of your people. Once you are past that point, what, then what? You, yeah, you can't just go to the store and buy some fairy dust. What you need to do is understand what are your business goals? What are your business challenges over the next five years and specific to your organization? And, and then what you need to do is ask your workforce, your employee force, what do they need to bring out their best well-being? And, and it's, there'll be pockets, there'll be sub-segments of what different groups may need, but you'll get trends and insights. And when you start to marry what your workforce needs to feel their best and what your organization needs in order to perform or overcome challenges, that's where you begin to set a strategy. And then you can look for solutions and tactics that will sort of align and help you, you know, operationalize that strategy and get to where you want to be. It's, you're never going to get to this end road where, okay, our company is now fully a hundred percent. Well, um, um, it's, it's, it's an aspirational goal, but it's an aspirational goal with, with meaning, with purpose and with impact, you know, from a business perspective, but also just from a people culture perspective. All right. I've got more questions for you about this because I think there's, there's so many different layers to what we're talking about. But first I have to thank the other sponsor of this episode. So this episode, like all of them is brought to you by Podfly Productions. Podfly takes the time and the headache out of creating your own podcast. They set you up with the right equipment, training, and guidance to ensure you're going to sound amazing. Podfly does all the heavy lifting and that pesky technical work so that you can focus on creating great content, growing your audience, and interviewing people who are making waves in business like Brad Bongiovanni. Hey, if you want to start a podcast, and I know that some of you do, jump over to podfly.net slash cool things and check out the offer that they have for the listeners of this show. So Brad, in addition to your, your, your role that you have as the, the head of medical strategy for MedIQ, you also have this consulting company, this well-being science. What's your background? What led you into starting this? Um, well, I know, you know, this is not a, you know, two hour podcast, so I'll, I'll try to be, <laughs> try to be brief. You know, when I was four, I told my mom I wanted to be a doctor. And from the time all the way up through college, I planned to go to medical school. And when I was in medical, I'm sorry, in college, applying to medical schools, I, I started reading books by medical doctors about a different kind of medicine. People that you may have heard of, like Andrew Wilde, a guy that looks like Santa Claus with a big, long gray beard, Deepak Chopra back in the 80s before he was a household name. But 
medical doctors talking about a new way of practicing medicine. And it completely blew my mind. Um, so I uncovered that there was another alternative route to go in medicine called naturopathic medicine, which is really more aligned with wellness and well-being and uh, a primary care approach, but using, you know, wellness kind of first before we escalate to drugs and surgery. There's always a place for drug and surgery. I would just say not first and foremost. So uh, I did that. And, and for 20, you know, for 20 years, I practiced as a naturopathic doctor, seeing patients in the trenches, helping them with a strategy for wellness and well-being and to recover their life again. Um, and I did that for 20 years until 2019 when I realized what I really love is I love the science of well-being. I love curating information. I love presenting that information to and what I found. And I love evangelizing. So I did some TEDx talks. And now I do, you know, guest spots like this with you. I contribute to magazine articles. I do um, private company consulting on some well-being initiatives that they have. And um, I just want to make a, I just want to spread the word. I just want to have well-being. I want to make an impact. I want to take well-being and spread the impact of what that brings and broaden the, even the definition of what that is and educate people so that I feel like, you know, my purpose in life is helping people experience deep well-being. And I'd like to do that. I was doing it one-on-one. -on -one. Now I'd like to do it one to a hundred, one to a thousand, one to a million, whatever, you know, whatever impact I can scale, I'd like to. So at the time you started practicing sort of homeopathic medicine, it probably wasn't as mainstream as it is today. So what were some of the pushbacks that you got from opposed to being sort of a traditional MD? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, 30 years ago when I started naturopathic medical school, it was not cool. It was not fun. It was not trendy. It was not hip. Uh, <laughs> uh, it is now, but it uh, wasn't back then. So I, you know, I had to ask myself, do I want to sacrifice, you know, income, uh, prestige, trust, credibility, in order to pursue something that I felt in my heart was my path. My path meaning I love science, I love medicine, but I also love taking care of people and wanting to do deeper work than just, hey, what are your symptoms? Here's your drug, call me in the morning. I wanted to really help people uncover why are you not well? What are the reasons for that? How do we help you short-term, but also how do we help you long-term and educate you how to not just get well, but stay well? So what advice do you have for people who work inside companies who think, oh, my company needs to, to make this an initiative? Yeah, um, I think just, you know, being, being a voice, being, um, you know, probably the voice of the employee has never been more welcomed <laughs> in today's day, day and age than, than, than you and I can probably ever remember. So use your voice and, um, and ask for, tell, tell, you know, tell your organization, your, either your boss or, or, or leadership that what this, you know, what this means to you and why you want this and, and how it affects you and how do you think that actually the more of a business case you can present, the better, how you see your own well-being leading to improved, you know, productivity, improved engagement, less, you know, obviously less sick days. Um, you know, there's buzzwords that the leadership is going to want to hear, but I think just being authentic and, um, 
and being vocal is is one of the best things you can do and point them to resources like podcasts and articles and TED Talks and those types of things. So if someone wants to find out more about you or they need someone to help coach their company on how to how to do this, how do they find you? Very easily. Um, they can go to my website, which is just drbradbongiovanni.com. Uh, I'm also on social media, not hard to find. I'm on LinkedIn, uh, not hard to find social media. I'm either Dr. Bon Giovanni or Dr. Brad Bon Giovanni, and I'm on LinkedIn as Dr. Brad Bon Giovanni. So pretty easy to find. Awesome. Well, I Happy appreciate to connect. Yeah. No, I appreciate you being a guest here on Making Waves at Sea Level. I think this is an important topic for companies and one that's probably long overdue for companies to to sort of embrace. So my last question is around this idea of what do you do about a company where the senior leadership, the C-suite, is like, well, being my ass. What do you do with them if you work in one of those companies? I think, um, you know, if it, it depends on what your goal is. If your goal is to help them really understand what they're missing, I think then my tactic would be to understand what's important to them and then draw a line and to well-being and, and help show them Here's what you're missing because these are the things that you're telling me are important to you. Here's how well-being maps to those things. And so, you know, you may have all sorts of other spokes in the wheel, but this is a spoke that you're not taking advantage of. And so that's up to you to decide, you know, if you want to go 80 miles an hour or 100 miles an hour. Well, Brad, thank you very much for being here. And thank you to everybody who tuned in and listened. I say it every single episode. If it wasn't for the audience, why would we do the podcast? So please, if you like these shows, be sure to go and leave those little reviews on Apple Podcasts or Spotify that says, my favorite podcast ever. But more importantly, go and tell a friend. Because when I talk to people who listen to this show and I say, how did you find my little podcast? They always say, my boss, my sister, my mother, my friend, somebody told them about it. So word of mouth, even in our digital age, word of mouth is still more powerful than just about any other way to promote a show like this. So go and tell somebody. And we're going to be back in a couple of days with an interview with somebody making waves who is just as cool as Brad. And I know you're thinking, what? How will you ever find somebody as cool as Brad? But we do it twice a week right here. Uh, <laughs> and starting in June, we're actually going to go back to an old format where uh, the Tuesday show is an interview like this. And the Thursday shows are going to be me chatting away about some topic that is uh, burning inside of me that I'm going to share. And uh, if you like the solo shows, please let me know. Uh, I had stopped doing them because I ended up with about four months of shows in the can and uh, I needed to get them all out. And then I just never got back into the habit. But recently, a whole bunch of people have said, what happened to your solo episodes? So in June, we're going to start bringing those back. So uh, uh, check in on Thursday for whatever's on my mind, which could be ridiculous. All right. In the meantime, I want you all to go out and flex your entrepreneurial muscles. Make sure your career ladder is against the right wall because there is no well-being in climbing your career ladder only to get to the top and find out you're in the wrong place. I know because I did that for a long time. Uh, and then go out there, make your own waves and have some fun along the way. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to the Making Waves at Sea Level podcast. Without your listening to these in-depth conversations, there would be no show. Connect with Tom at TomSinger.com and follow him on Twitter and Instagram at TomSinger.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.